Wisconsin's true home team is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now featuring savings up to $2,500 off an installed patio door, up to $3,000 off an installed entry door, but only through May 31st. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. So glad to have you with us. As I mentioned a moment ago, um, this is t- today's program is going to be a little bit different. The, the twelve o'clock hour of the program, we're going to talk about some some heavy duty stuff, and then perhaps gradually get a little bit lighter during the one o'clock hour of the program. And yes, I know there's a lot of stuff going on in in the world, and we're going to have a lot of opportunities as we have over the last couple of days to talk about many of the different permutations and theories that people have about gun control and things like that. We'll 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 have time to do that. Um, but I do want to do a little bit of lighter things as well. In addition, in the 2 o'clock hour, between 2 and 2.30, before Pop Culture Corner, we are going to bring back an annual feature that we have been doing here on WTMJ, well, since I've worked here, which is a special um, half hour devoted to Memorial Day remembrances. This is, of course, Memorial Day weekend for a lot of people. It's the unofficial start of summer, and we think about barbecues, and we think about going out and doing lawn work, and we think about picnics and things like that, and that's appropriate. But we also need to remember the real purpose of Memorial Day, which is, of course, to recognize and honor and remember um, individuals who have lost their lives in service to the, this country. And we have a sort of an expanded interpretation of that for our Memorial Day segments. But that is coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Okay, let, let's get started. I, I've sent out a couple tweets over the last 24 hours. And if you follow me, at, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. You'll, you'll, you'll see some of them. First of all, this this absolute craziness involving the politically motivated Idiots, and yes, I use that word advisedly, the idiots on the Milwaukee Common Council with regard to the Republican National Committee. The, For those of you who have not been keeping score, uh, the city of Milwaukee is, of course, one of two finalists, along with Nashville, to host the 2024 Republican National Conventions. All right. The convention will bring in an enormous amount of money to the city of Milwaukee and to businesses in the city of Milwaukee. Now, some people say it'll be as much as $200 million. I, I don't know. Maybe it's 150 Maybe it's $100 million. But you will have an enormously large convention. You will have 50-plus thousand people who will be traveling here. They will be staying at hotels. They will be eating at restaurants. They will be going to bars. They will be renting cars. They will be going to other attractions throughout the area. They will be taking Ubers. They will be taking cabs. You you name it, it is, you know, I've never heard anybody argue that having a big convention in town, much less one that's going to draw worldwide attention, is a bad thing. And yet the idiots, yes, I use that word again, on the Milwaukee Common Council have decided in large part because they don't like those evil Republicans. You know, those evil Republicans are all white supremacists, and they want to shoot people with guns and stuff, and we don't want it here. So they're talking about charging the Republican National Committee, $6 million 
for the privilege of staging the convention in, in Milwaukee. Um, I am reliably informed by people in the know that this is an absolute and total deal breaker. So if the, if the Common Council is serious about expecting the Republicans to pay $6 million, a requirement which, by the way, was not imposed on the Democrats. So if they really want to, I mean, just simply say, all right, let's just make this decision easy, um, you, you keep this $6 million requirement. Matter of fact, I'm pretty reliably told that the Republican National Committee isn't going to pay a dime. You know, they are not going to be extorted by these people on the Milwaukee Common Council. So it, it really is getting down to, you know, crunch time because the decision is going to be made pretty soon. I feel sorry for the mayor because, you know, he's got a deal with some of these folks. This is the same common council, now slightly differently constituted, this is the same common council that essentially killed the, the meatpacking plant, remember, when it wanted to go in and locate in the central city, and they said, well, you know, we, we don't know that we really want this in the neighborhood, and yes, it's going to bring 250 jobs, but it, it's a slaughterhouse. And the people were saying this had never even been past a modern meatpacking facility. They have no clue what they're talking about. So the, the meat company said, okay, fine, you don't want us there? We'll, we'll go somewhere else. Goodbye to 250 or more good-paying jobs. This is the same sort of situation the Milwaukee Common Council and it get it's 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 all about politics they don't like Republicans. They don't want the Republicans here. They don't want the money here. And so, well, if you want the privilege of coming here, we want you to pay six million dollars. It's not going to happen. That's just the reality. It's not going to happen. So people in the Common Council need to really make a quick decision. And that is, are they going to turn their back on a major convention that's going to bring 50,000 people into town? And if they do, I, I never want to hear again about using taxpayer dollars to expand convention centers or to market the city of Milwaukee or any of those things because it's apparent to me that the Milwaukee Common Council doesn't care about that. And interestingly, some of the the usual suspects, the the lefty interest groups that are fighting this, it's they they're, they're cutting the throats of their own members. A, a couple of these big union organizations, one whose members would benefit from having 50,000 people come into town and, uh, again, w- go stay at hotels where there, there's union contracts that would benefit the, the unions and the employees and things like that. It, it's just so incredible to me that some of these big labor organizations, once again demonstrating, in many cases, these union bosses don't give a rat's rump about their members All they care about is their particular political agenda. So for anybody who thinks that there's any doubt at all, this is a very, very dangerous game of chicken that the Milwaukee Common Council is playing. And I'm pretty I can pretty much guarantee you that um, if they're if they're in the middle of the road playing chicken, it's not going to work out very well because they're they're not going to get the money. And what's going to end up happening is the RNC is going to Nashville. And some people might applaud that. Yeah, we said what we wanted to the, you know, we showed those evil Republicans. We didn't want 50,000 of them coming into town and spending money. Well, real, real good thinking. You explain that when Nashville is going to be busting at the seams and you're going to have all the people that are going to be there and taking care of the entertainment district. And and candidly, I think at this point in time, not only does the Common Council need to immediately revise its position, they need to apologize for even thinking about something like this and maybe just maybe. They can get back into consideration. Otherwise, I mean, if you're a 
potential delegate or somebody on the selection committee and you're in Oklahoma or you're in Oregon or you're in Florida, you're sitting there saying, well, well, wait a minute, Nashville sounds like a cooler place to go to than Milwaukee anyhow, and the Milwaukee Common Council is doing this type of stuff, makes the decision pretty darn easy. All right, when we're, we come back, let's talk about a decision that was about as ill-considered as you can imagine. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Okay, let, let's talk about the, the story that everybody is, in fact, discussing. Um, we've we've been kind of breaking down over the course of the last couple days you know, what happened in Texas with a, yet another one of these school shootings and 19 kids dead, two adults dead. Uh, and again, the, the conversations, it's in many cases, the same conversations we've been having since Columbine. Is it guns? Is it mental illness? What what do we need to do? Is there any way that you can prevent it? And I, I think a lot of people... A lot of people think they know the answers, but the, the reality is it's very, very difficult to prevent, but doesn't mean that we, we shouldn't do things. In the aftermath, though, and I appreciate that hindsight is twenty twenty, and I also appreciate that when you are involved in an active law enforcement scene, it, you, you've got to make some decisions based on what the phrase the military uses, the fog of war. You know, you, you don't have – you have to make your decisions based on the, the, the best – judgment you can use based on what you know at the time. And there's always second guessing. I I get that. Having said that, having said that, the way law enforcement authorities handled the situation in Texas, to me, is absolutely appalling. And heads need to roll, figuratively speaking. And for all the parents out there who were outside that school for over an hour while you had the shooter in the school in an active shooting situation and the law enforcement authorities made the decision that they were not going to storm the school but instead wait wait for an hour till you know fully armed border patrol people could get there is one of the most staggeringly bad decisions that i i can remember a law enforcement officer or officers making and i appreciate hindsight is is 2020 but at the same time there was a press conference you got a chance to hear a good portion of it during the 11 o'clock hour that a law enforcement is now acknowledging um that you know bad mistake they didn't perceive the fact that there were children in a classroom that were at risk. They thought, okay, well, maybe this is a barricaded subject, so we'll just sit and wait. Well, at the same time, there were all sorts of parents who were there. Their kids were unaccounted for. And in one case, a, a mother, I don't know if you saw this, she ended up getting arrested because she was first politely and then more urgently saying, you've got to go in there. You had at least a couple dozen armed law enforcement officers who sat by, figuratively speaking, twiddling their thumbs, waiting for people to come from, you know, 10 miles away so you could have more firepower. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it oh, – look, you, you never – You never want to have law enforcement put themselves unnecessarily at risk. But in this situation where you have somebody that's fired hundreds of rounds, 
there are still children that are in that school. You cannot wait an hour to try to storm the place. You just absolutely can't. One of the arguments that we try to make for school resource officers or, you know, on the scene is the idea that, you know, maybe if you have an armed officer, they can confront, you know, the shooters early on. 855-616-1620. That is the Akin Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry, this, this story just gets worse and worse and worse. I don't know if law enforcement would have acted in a fashion that they now agree was appropriately. I don't know if they would have tried to to rush the building. Don't know that that would have guaranteed a, a different outcome. Don't know. But for the parents who were outside watching law enforcement stand around for over an hour while you have somebody who is in an active shooting situation in these classrooms with children unaccounted for, it's just absolutely inexcusable. And to the extent that there was, and I think it might have been the local police chief who was the one that was the instant commander who decided to, to wait, he should be ashamed of himself. This decision, at least in my opinion, was so incredibly bad. You've got officers there. I'm sure those officers would have been willing to try to, all right, approach the school, enter the school, see what the situation is, and and then maybe take action as opposed to standing outside and waiting until you get more backup, etc. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The law enforcement, the incident commander, apparently believed they needed more equipment and more officers to do what they say is a tactical breach. Meanwhile, there were 19 officers who were armed who were available to act my goodness, 19 officers available to act, and yet nobody did anything until they were waiting for the Border Patrol to get there when you have a situation where you have a shooter who has moved into a school, fired hundreds of shots, and you know that there are kids still in the school. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One of our texters says, "Well, you know, your your solution is arming teachers." And by the way, I, I've never, I, I have simply said that I guess I don't have an issue if a teacher wants to be armed and wants to go through the appropriate training. I, I don't, I don't have an issue with that. I don't think it makes matters worse. So one of our texters, well, this see, and your solution is to arm teachers. And my response is, well, maybe if you had a trained arm teacher there, it wouldn't have gotten to this extent in the first place. 855-616-1620. Having said all that, th- this was just a failure on so many levels. And I cannot imagine the angst the parents are going through standing around wa- waiting for over an hour while you have at least almost two dozen armed officers who are just kind of standing by instead of storming the building. Terry in South Milwaukee. Terry, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. I got a couple points I'm going to make. I'll be quick. Um, I just want to say, first off, I have a 14-year-old and and an 11-year-old in school. Um, I, as a parent, I would have ripped that building apart, brick by brick, to get into that building. There would be nothing... God couldn't stop me from getting in that building. You understand? Yeah. When 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 law enforcement puts a badge and a gun on, they I'm sorry, my voice is kind of gone because I've, I've been I'm highly upset about this. Um, 
when law enforcement puts their badge and gun on, they take an oath to serve and protect, and they understand that they may have to put their life on the line. Yeah. When a person takes a gun into a school, there is no such thing as a barricade situation. You got to go in there and you get that person. Yep. I know people in law enforcement, they're upset about this. Yeah. Um, the fact that the door was left open, that's, you know, both of my son's schools, they're locked. You can't get in unless you get buzzed in. They see you on the camera. There's just so many things wrong. We arm and protect so many other institutions. These politicians are protected. Banks are protected by arms uh, officers, Social Security officers. Um, we need to protect the children. If the teachers want to be armed, we need to do that. There are so many things wrong with this. Yeah. When you have parents saying, give me the gun, give me the vest, I will go in. That When I first saw that before any of the press conferences came out, I said they screwed up. Yeah, and, yeah. and instead of taking accountability, they lied. They're cowards. And I want to see people in handcuffs at the end of the day. Well, thanks for calling. You know, heads I mean, need to roll. No, it, I mean, heads do need to roll. I mean, one of our texts makes this point. It's a 100 percent leadership failure. Whoever is in charge of those units should be fired immediately. The fog of war that you were referring to, Jeff, only overwhelms poor leadership. And my guess is a lot of those rank and file police officers that are out there, they, they wanted to go. They, they're like, what, why are we standing around here? You know, we, we've got the vest. We, we understand that we're dealing with this situation, but we've got to go in there. There's still kids that are in there we don't know what the situation is we've got to go in there and we've got to take out this guy the idea and i I can only imagine like i say the frustration that these parents have standing around waiting and waiting why aren't you going in where are our kids why aren't you doing anything oh we're waiting for the tactical unit from the border patrol to get here for god's sake you understand the frustration that these parents would, would have and i guess i understand that we practice all these things oh we just did this this drill and these active shooter drills but those that practice is only going to be as good as the leadership that you end up having on the scene. And in this case, the leadership, I think, was a complete and total failure. And I, I, I say that without taking any pleasure in that, because I understand that there's always second guessing that goes on and things like that. And I don't like to play armchair quarterback, but this is one that I think everybody who was on that scene at the time in the moment knew was an incredibly bad decision that was being made. And yet the, the police officers were, were held back and now we're starting to say, OK, well, we, we got this wrong. Well, it can't be allowed to happen again. All right, I want to I want to switch gears. I want to talk about one more aspect of how we stop this stuff in the future. This just absolute craziness. And I I understand whenever we have situations like happened, you know, earlier this week, inevitably one of the conversations is about guns. And I think, as I've been saying over the last couple of days, I think that is a fair conversation to have. But. And we can talk about, should we have extra background checks? Would that have made a difference? Should, you know, the age to buy one of these types of firearms, should it be 21 instead of 18? That's a fair conversation. Should we allow people to buy these 30, uh, these magazines that have 30 rounds in them? I, those are, those are fair conversations. But let's, let's face it. That's, that's kind of nibbling around the edge because unless we're going to confiscate, you know, every one of the hundreds of millions of guns that are in this country, you're, you're, you're never going to be able to prevent these sort of things because you say, okay, you can't have access to the, the AR-15. You can't legally purchase that. Well, then you go out with a handgun. I, so there, there's all this, there are things that you can do, again, to beef up security, to assess how you handle this. 
But I, I think those are always going to be kind of band-aids to the extent that there will always be, for somebody who is motivated to do this, there will always be the, the opportunity to, to do that. So maybe in this case, we need to start focusing more on, on prevention. And this is the conversation that I, I hear from a, a lot of my liberal friends say, well, we, we need to figure out, yes, you're right, Jeff, you need to prosecute the murderers. And yes, we'll even concede that maybe you're right that we should put people who commit crimes in jail. But maybe we should concentrate on trying to stop people from being inclined to steal the cars in the first place. And, and I'm, I'm all in favor of that. I think the same thing, though, needs to apply in these shooter situations, because let's face it, the vast majority of people who own firearms, 99.99999% are not going to use the guns to commit crimes, and they're certainly not going to use the guns to go into a situation where they end up, you know, shooting up schools or shooting up grocery stores or shooting up shopping malls or, or things like that. It's a very select few people, which is is a good thing on, on the one hand. So to me, you can have the conversation about gun control, and, and that's, that's like I say, it's all well and good. But you also have to concentrate and focus on the people who are likely to engage in the shooting. I was a story I was looking at today. One of the... One of the fathers of one of the shooting victims in in Parkland, you know, which was the most recent large scale or the largest school shooting incident um, until this one. Um, he, you know, he, he's out there talking and he says, look, you know, one of the things that has to happen is we really haven't learned anything from from past school shootings. And he says, look, I don't think gun laws are the solution to preventing more shootings. You know, what we should have learned from Parkland is that what you need to do is you, you need to, again, work on school security. Why was a door unlocked and things like that? But we also need to focus on identifying mental instability that is these these antisocial kids who are known maybe you don't know that the kid is going to go grab a gun and shoot up a place but you know that there is clearly a kid that's got problems you know clearly that you have you know kids who are antisocial for whatever reasons that are talking about acting up and things like that don't we need to intervene? Don't we need to do a better job of allowing parents to adi- who, who know that, parents who see the fact that they've got issues with their kids, don't we need to do a better job of identifying that? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I will tell you, I'm glad that we did not have to spend the next two hours talking about, you know, what was going on in Slinger. Um, Again, for people who just might be tuning in, uh, soft lockdown at Slinger Middle. There was a lockdown at Slinger Middle School. The initial reports are apparently a student at the middle school shouted out that he had a gun. They describe it in, apparently this was what the student thought was funny, and of course the school reacted appropriately. They're on a lockdown, uh, police, a huge police presence. Student has, the suspect has been taken into custody is what they're saying now. No gun was found, but they are searching the building. So thankfully it was not something 
worse. And, and that is, of course, the good news. All right. I, I want to move on from some of the heavy stuff. We've been spending a lot of time over the course of the last several days talking about really, really heavy topics. And I, and there will be time for that next week. And I believe me, I understand that we've got a war going on in Ukraine. And I understand all the heavy political issues that are out there as well. But one of the at least do a couple different things. And once again, in our two o'clock hour, the first half of the hour is going to be devoted to one of our traditional things that we do every Memorial Day, giving you an opportunity to recognize people that you would like to recognize for Memorial Day. All right, before that, sent out a note about this. If you follow me, it's on Twitter. On Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. And my, the, all I, I said about this, the story is, I swear you cannot make this stuff up. All right. Now, the San Francisco school system. Now, the San Francisco school system has been under a a lot of fire because of the just knee-jerk lefty things that they have decided to do. You remember in February, three school board members lost in landslide elections. And because the voters just, even in San Francisco, started to rebel because you had this school board that w- was more obsessed with getting rid of changing school names. We can't have the elementary school named after Abraham Lincoln um, than they were in reopening classes during the, the pandemic. So th- this, the, the vote voters, even in San Francisco, said enough is enough. You know, we, we want you— concentrating on on the real issues. Figure out how to teach our kids. Figure out how to get the kids back into the classrooms in a safe sort of situation. Let's not obsess about, gee, whether this is Thomas Jefferson Elementary or Abraham Lincoln Elementary. Well, the same folks that gave you we can't have Abraham Lincoln on name on elementary schools have now given you the latest. Now, I want to share this with you, then we're going to open up the phone lines and get your reactions. The San Francisco Unified School District, now my hand in my ear, I am not making this up, will no longer use the word chief in job titles because of concerns from Native Americans. District officials said that they haven't decided what they're going to use instead of the word chief. But their leadership has, team has agreed that given the fact that Native American members of their community have expressed concerns over the use of the title, they are no longer going to use this. So the word chief will now be removed from all titles. And at least based on what I was able to find, there are so far at least 13 people who have titles that include the word chief. There is a chief of staff. You know, lots of places have chiefs of staff, including the President of the United States as a chief of staff. There's a chief academic officer. There's a chief technology officer. You get the idea. But the word chief, at least in the minds of people in San Francisco, or at least members of the school board, have decided chief in and of itself, has now become an offensive word to Native Americans because they have chiefs. Now, just to give you a little background on this word before we open up the phone lines and have this conversation, the the word chief is not a Native American word. The word chief goes back, and I, I, I go back to my four years of high school Latin at Nicolay High School, where I was taught by the late, great Juanita Bonneman. The word chief 
comes from a Latin word, caput, C-A-P-U-T. It was then modified into French, where um, it the, the word is, is in French, it's, it's chef, C-H-E-F. Um, it means in Latin, in French, and in English, it means head of a group. It is not something that is unique, for example, to Native Americans. It's not like the controversy that developed over years about the, the term squaw. And, you, you, and that's why a lot of places have now changed the names. We don't have Squaw Lake in New York anymore. And, and so a lot of communities are moving away from that particular word. But chief is not like that. Chief is a universally used word that does not have its origin in, in, in Native America. That it's Again, it goes back to the Latin. But because... Apparently, somebody somewhere said somebody might be offended by the fact that they use the word chiefs. And, and yes, you have chiefs of tribes, but you also have, I don't know, chiefs of industry. You have chiefs of staff. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you don't believe me, I've got a link to the story again on my website and on my Twitter account at Jeff Wagner 620 but, but let us tee this up. Have we gone through the looking glass completely? I mean, I I understand that there are some words that might have been part of our parlance that um, were outmoded or or have have become you know culturally unacceptable based on twenty twenty two standards, and and I understand that and, and I get it. But the word chief, have we now reached a point in this country where because we have Chiefs of Native American tribes, Indian chiefs, we cannot—that is offensive. And, and where do we draw the line? Does that now mean we can't have fire chiefs? I mean, we, we can't—we're not allowed to have fire chiefs? What about chiefs of police? Can we no longer have chiefs of police? Um, what about the team, that football team in Kansas City? Can we no longer have the Kansas City chiefs? That at least has uh, definitely has like a Native American connotation. But the word chief, do we need to ban it, or is this just political correctness not run amok, but run completely and totally wild? 855-616-1620, we discuss. 855-616-1620, let's go back to regular programming. If you're just tuning in, uh, it, this is one of the latest examples of, to me, the perpetually, the politically correct and the perpetually offended saying, okay, we, we've, we've got to manufacture problems. So the San Francisco School Board um, has decided we have to eliminate the word chief. So we, we can no longer have a chief technology officer, a chief of staff, a chief academic officer. You, you get the, the idea. Presumably they would object to fire chiefs and they would object to police chiefs and, and everything else because they're afraid that somebody somewhere might be offended in the Native American community where they also have chiefs. And as I was saying before the break, the, the word chief is not a native is not a, a Native American word. The word chief, a uh, chief comes from from the Latin, and then it was adapted into French, and it means head of a group. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Katie in Burlington. Katie, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I don't believe for a second anyone complained. I mean, because it's not the normal jargon when you are dealing with people in an educational environment. You're not walking around calling people Chief John and Chief Joe. I mean, maybe it was on some letterhead, but I don't think a single person complained. I think this is, I feel good, I'm I'm elite, I'm better than everyone, I'm more uh, conscious than everyone. Why don't they take a hard, good look at, well, what can we do to service the Native Americans in our community? Are they disadvantaged socioeconomically? Uh, is there an issue with lack 
lack of um, access to education or health care or anything. Let's look at the hard stuff. No one wants to look at the hard stuff. Right. It, thanks to Colgate. It's just no, a really easy feel good. Well, right. Thank. And, and, but I don't even know that it necessarily makes anybody feel good. I, again, and to me, th- this also demonstrates just an incredible degree of ignorance because it's, as I was saying earlier, it, it's it's a word that goes back to, to the Latin. It is a word that has a meaning. It means, you know, head of a group. And, and it has been a word that has been around since Roman times, for goodness sakes. And, and that's what it means. And it's certainly not unique to Native Americans. And I, I, I look, I understand how there's some terms, like one I was using earlier, which you could say, yeah, that, that's, that's got a derogatory connotation, and it's pretty much exclusively defined to Native Americans. We, we have fire chiefs. We have police chiefs. We have, what, what are we now going to do? Should we be calling up Joe Biden and saying, you know, that, that chief of staff that you have, we, we can't allow that anymore because somebody somewhere somehow might find themselves offended. Let's talk to Lee in Milwaukee. Lee, you're on WTMJ. Yes. Hi, Jeff. Hi, um, Lee. I uh, recently retired from the uh, Indian uh, Health Services as the chief medical officer. Oh. <laughs> I'm not Native American, but I, but I work closely with them. And there's multiple uh, in the organization. There's there's the chief financial officer. Yeah. There's the chief executive officer. And it's mostly Native Americans, and they never had an issue with the term chief. And I never heard anyone complain or saying they wanted to change that. Well, well, no, because also to your point, though, it's it's not a term that's unique to, for example, you know, working in, in the Native American community. You have, you know, we we have all sorts of you know chief executive officers. We have all sorts of chief financial officers. We have fire and police chiefs. It, it is just a term that is used across the board. And when when somebody thinks of the chief medical officer, for your example, in your case, they, they don't think it's unique to, they, I don't think it conjures, conjures up imita- in, uh, concepts or thoughts of the Native American community. It means, hey, you're the head of the group. That, and that's what most people understand it to be. Yeah, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I mean, it's just, again, I, I one of the things that frustrates me about all these conversations is I, I do appreciate that you have real issues with with racism and discrimination and insensitivity that are in this world. And, and this is what you decide to to deal with. Like our first caller, Katie, was talking about, by by obsessing over this particular thing, you, you don't make anybody's life any better, not, not at all. And all you do is you spin your wheels and make yourself look silly because you're, you're doing this virtue signaling. Oh, we're superior. We, we you know, don't want people to be offended by these particular terms. Let's talk to Jim. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. This is not surprising to me. About 15 years ago, where I worked, they said they're going to get rid of all these sexist terms that they said were sexist. And the first thing they said 15 years ago here in Milwaukee, we're going to get rid of the manager's office because of the M-A-N in the title. So they did right away. became the official's office. We had a locker room, one for men and one for women. They said we're going to get that, get rid of that, and have one locker room for both sexes which they did right away. And I never went back into that locker room because <laughs> well, I knew that, that, I, that there would be, be trouble in there. Well, it, it, so uh, this yeah. is... 15 years ago. Yeah, Jim, I it just, I mean, the world has just kind of gone crazy. And and look, and I, I do, as I started off when I was just leading into this conversation, I, I do understand that there's terms that, that maybe were used 
years and years ago that are antiquated and are insensitive and things like that. And I think you have to be alert and aware of that, and, and connotations and uses change. But give me strength. One of our texters is picking up on one of my catchphrases, get a mop, my head is about to explode. And they're absolutely right. This is what we are obsessing about. All right. All right, Joe Biden, this is you know that chief of staff. Tony Evers, you've got a chief of staff. Mayor Johnson in Milwaukee, I believe you have a chief of staff as well. All right, do we need to be more sensitive? Do we need to get rid of that? And all the fire and police chiefs all across the state, well, maybe we need to figure out, you know, something else to call you, uh, figure out what the title is. <laughs> yeah, Actually, first of all, kudos to about the two dozen of you who's a follow-up to our last conversation about San Francisco banning the word chief. Um, said, well, what about what about that guy in Washington, the commander-in-chief? Can we no longer have that? Well, just, just wait for it. This is the age of political correctness. That, of course, highway to the danger zone, one of the, the big top gun things. I... Um, I'm also amazed. All we had that brief conversation. I'm now being swamped with, with texts from people who hate Tom Cruise. <laughs> you know, it's just like, huh? I guess Tom Cruise just isn't on my radar screen enough to, to have a strong feeling about him one way or the other. But it is. He's. This is the Top Gun Maverick, which opens. If it didn't open last night, it opens tonight, and it's it got a 12 minute standing ovation at the film festival in Cannes, and so everybody's thinking that this is going to be the big tentpole movie around the summer. It's going to get people back into the theaters and spending money, kind of like Spider Man did a few months ago. I, I don't know. I'm I. I like the Top Gun movie. Am I going to rush out to the theater to see it? I don't know. It might be one that I kind of wait till it, it, it comes on one of the the pay services, HBO or whatever. But we'll, you know, we'll we'll see. But I my I've got a Top Gun story, and it's Top Gun. Of course, is filmed in in San Diego. And the original movie was filmed in San Diego. I think it's 1990. So here's the deal: if you remember the original Top Gun movie, there is there's a bar. A, a, like a dive bar restaurant where some of the the action takes place, and one of the it, it's it's actually it's a it's a real place, um, and it's it's it is it's kind of a dive bar restaurant, and it's called Kansas City Barbecue, and it's in San Diego. And if if you were wondering if you're trying to think about the movie, one of the most famous scenes in the movie is there's there's a piano in this little dive bar, and Anthony Edwards. Um, who played the character Goose, like the the number two guy to the the sidekick for the Tom Cruise character? He's there with his wife, played by a young Meg Ryan, and he's playing the piano. I think he's playing Great Balls of Fire on the piano. And the the line Meg Ryan looks at him and says, "Goose, you big stud, take me to bed or lose me forever," which is one of like the great lines in, in movie history. Okay, so 1996, I'm in San Diego. With my wife, we go to the bar that that bar and restaurant. So and we're there, kind of in the middle of the day, and it's sort of empty and stuff. But now I don't know if this is still the case. I haven't been there since 1996, so it's like 30 years or 25 years. But they have the piano there, and you can sit at the piano. So I you know, there, there's kind of like ropes around it and stuff because they say this is the the piano and Top Gun. So I sit down at the piano, 
And I say to my wife, come on, honey, indulge me here. I I, want to hear the line. Jeff, you big stud, take me to bed or lose me forever. (laughs) And and she's like looking at And My wife was not a Tom Cruise fan or a a Top Gun fan. I said, it's it's one of the greatest lines in Top Gun. Come on, hon. Jeff, you big stud, take me to bed or lose me forever. And I just, she just, she wouldn't play along. She's just kind of like looking at me saying, no, I am not going down this particular route. So I... I was just, I was kind of left up in the air. But if you're in San Diego, which is a great town, and you get a chance to go to, again, the, the bar, the top, people are sending me text pictures of them at that bar. Yeah, it, it is a dive bar. There, there's no question about it. But if you get a chance to go, the, the actual, the place, it's still there. It's called Kansas City Barbecue. I don't know if they still have the piano or not, but it was one of the, the, the great disappointments of my life that I was sitting there, and I just tried to get my wife to, to do the Meg Ryan line and, and just... She wouldn't play along. What what can you say? So didn't actually work out. All right. Let us switch gears. As I said earlier, we're um I, I know that there's all sorts of serious stuff going on in the world, but I just I as we go into the Memorial Day weekend, I, I want to do some lighter stuff. And then coming up in about twenty minutes, we're gonna do something that we do every year around Memorial Day to give you a chance to remember, you know, people who, who you feel appropriate. But I, I I had I've had this interesting experience over the last couple days, and I've seen this on a couple occasions. And I wanted to just ask you why you think this happens, or if you have have noticed it. Now, as we talked about earlier this week, or maybe last week, everybody everybody has cell phones nowadays, right? But we we don't necessarily use the phones just to make calls. They're they're mini computers, and we we use them to text and to surf the internet and do things like that. And as a result of that, like New York City last week, I think all the public pay phones are are now gone. They this we don't have pay phones or anything like that anymore because you know they don't need them anymore because everybody's got their their various cell phones. So I will describe a situation that I saw, for example, among some of my teammates today. I, I walk out of one of the the doors, and there's one of my teammates who's walking down the hallway right by kind of the door where I I go out, and the, the teammate uh, kind of acknowledges me, but they're they're walking and they're looking at their cell phone. They're I I mean I'm not saying they're not paying attention to their surroundings, but they are staring intently in their cell phone, and I don't know if they're reading stuff or, or what, but they're they're staring at their cell phone. So as you're walking down the hallway, the hallway is where it intersects. So people might be going east west if you want to think about, it, and other people going north or south. So I, I'm watching one of my teammates who's staring at their phone, heading east-west, say, and I kind of hear this noise coming from around the corner uh, going north-south, and there is another one of my teammates who is moving quickly going north-south, the same thing, looking, staring directly at their cell phone, not paying attention to to their surroundings. They are vividly focused on on this. And now, thankfully, they didn't bang into each other, but it's, I've been kind of looking at this, and I'm thinking, okay, they're 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 focused intently on on their cell phones. Now I don't I don't know whether it's the most important thing. I don't know what they're looking at. It doesn't matter. But they're they're multitasking to the extent of walking and staring at the cell phones. I cannot tell you how many times I I see that people who just we we can't leave that sacred cell phone. We, we can't put it down while we walk. We can't put it down while we do other stuff. We've got to just stare at it. We, we, we can't put it in our pocket while we're walking 
I don't know, that that 20 feet if we're going to the bathroom. We can't put it in our pocket if we're walking, you know, into that next section to talk to somebody. We've got to be staring at, at the phones constantly. I swear, true story, not that long ago, I walk into a men's room, okay? There is a urinal in the men's room. Two urinals. One is vacant. There is a somebody at the next one. They've got their phone in their left hand, staring at their phone while they are doing their business. And I admit, I, I kind of wanted to just sort of hold back a little bit because, well, you know, you just never know where this is going to go here. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm not saying there needs to be a law about it, but have you noticed this? And is there th- this obsession with with cell phones and being unable to put it down for, for just a couple minutes that we need to, wherever we walk, we need to be staring at the phone. If we're taking a walk, we need to be staring at the phone. If we're sitting at a baseball game, we need to be staring at the phone. We can't walk in an office 30 feet without staring at our phones. Have you seen that? And is that really healthy? And is there really anything as a general rule on your phone that is so important that you're not going to be able to, I don't know, wait till you get where you're going and then look at it again. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We all have them. We all do this. But I'm wondering if it's healthy that we are just all so obsessed with them that none of us can get our faces out of our cell phones for even even just a few seconds. 855-616-1620. If you notice that, we discuss. 855-616-1620. I mean, I was, I was just watching today. A couple of my teammates were walking down the hall, and I, I just I watched them narrowly miss walking into each other because one's going east-west, the other's going north-south, and, and both of them are just focused. They're staring at their phones. But this is not this, this unique sort of thing. Not that long ago, walk into a men's room, and there, there's a guy, phone in his left hand as he's standing there kind of doing his business. And I'm like, huh, well, I think I'm, I'm going to wait. Don't want to get too terribly close to this. And I guess I, I understand that every once in a while there might be that emergency situation where you, you've got to have your phone out. There's, gosh, I, I've just, I've gotten this, I've gotten this incredible, important text that's out there, and I got to run down the hall to find my coworker or to find somebody and show it to them. And, and here, I'm looking at this because it's an emergency situation, but that's not what's going on now. We, we have, we are raising generations of people who are unable to put the phones down for, for even just a few minutes. 855-616-1620. Uh, Jeff, how about the folks on speaker phones while they are semi-serious, seemingly conducting semi-serious business calls while doing their business in the bathrooms? People have become enslaved to their phones, and it's nuts. I refuse to do this. I'm never using my phone unless I'm seated, and certainly while I'm not driving or disturbing others in public, it's in my pocket on vibrate, and it stays there whenever I am in motion. Um, yeah, Jeff, um, I refer to these folks as cell phone zombies. Well, that that's true. If you look at, if you look at, at cityscapes of, 
and now it might be a little bit different since the pandemic, since people really aren't back to work. But if you look at like sidewalks and stuff, you you will see people that are just wandering up and down and and they're just staring at their phones. Summerfest is going to start in a couple weeks. My guess is, and you know, if you just sit there and you people watch at Summerfest, what you're going to find is there's going to be a lot of people instead of talking to the folks that they're with, instead of, gee, where's the beer tent that I want to go to? Instead of looking for the band they want to see, they're going to be sitting there and they are going to be staring at their phones. I was at dinner within the last couple weeks and there were four I'm going to say young ladies, um, as I get older, everybody looks young to me, but I'd say, you know, gals in their 20s, and there were four of them at dinner, and all four of them were staring at their cell phones. There was, now, you can't complain because, on the one hand, there's, there's, it's not like there's loud conversation that's disturbing you, but there was no conversation at all. None, none at all. You're out to dinner and you're just, you know, everybody's texting everybody else and other people. I mean, it's like, it's it's why bother? I mean, if I, if I want to spend time on my cell phone, why am I going to go out to dinner with my wife and with, with our friends? You know, it's amazing. Um, I just, I, I don't understand this whole thing. Um, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text lines. Jeff, I interview people for jobs. Try interviewing young adults for jobs. They can't look up. Huh. Jeff, our cell phones have become the handcuff of society, just like the wristwatch once was. Um, yeah, I, I guess there's that element that's that's out there as well. And, I, and by the way, I still feel... I still feel naked without a wristwatch. I mean, and I, I understand that's kind of old school, but I always wear a watch, and I, I know I don't have to. I know that duplicates. I can pull out my cell phone out of my pocket and hit the button, and it tells me right away what time it is. But the bottom line is I still end up, you know, if I don't have a wristwatch on, I'm always kind of looking at it to see what time it is. Jeff, I think this is a huge pet peeve of mine. People don't talk to each other or socialize at all anymore. It's all social media now. Um, and somebody else says, you know, this is one of the reasons why some people just completely lack verbal communication skills because, you know, they've grown up doing nothing but looking at their phone. Jeff, I've noticed this. I see kids riding bikes in my neighborhoods, looking at, at my neighborhood, looking at their fo- phones. I've also heard women in the bathroom having conversations on their cell phones. I like to flush the toilet uh, to let the person know where they are speaking and when. Um Yes. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Jim. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Uh, I've got a few things to say about this, actually. First off, I'm an old Star Trek fan, and there's some some Trekkies might remember a great episode back in 1991 called The Game that sort of tried to warn us about all of this, where everyone on the ship got something similar to a modern smartphone, and lo and behold, you'll see they're all walking around like zombies. Yeah. So we kind of had a little bit of a yeah. know, warning here. Um, but what, the main thing that I wanted to tell you, uh, really, there, there's two things. Smartphones do emit blue light, okay? And blue light has some harmful effects. People start, uh, it starts affecting circadian rhythms so that uh, people aren't sleeping as well. But there is a bit of an endorphin release by staring at blue light, okay? Huh. There's some research behind that. So it is sort of the modern drug. You know, we think about decades ago, cigarettes were kind of the thing that slipped up and people didn't realize how harmful they were. I do believe that blue light and technology is sort of this new 
uh, thing to be well aware of. And the last thing I wanted to mention, too, is I just recently switched after six years from Android to iPhone. And guess what? I find myself in my phone significantly more often, okay, to the point where I'm almost getting headaches. And I realized I think I know why. On the Android phones, there's something called an always-on display. You can see your notifications, okay, just right pretty much without having to unlock, let alone open your phone, without even picking your phone up. iPhones don't have this feature. Yeah, you so pick as a result, it, yeah. you literally have to completely unlock it, completely open it, and then it's almost like quicksand once you're in. Well, I've unlocked my phone. I'm here. I may as well just start opening this app and I'm playing this game. Yeah, so you know, I kind of blame it, Apple a little bit for not having that feature. Well, Jim, I I, I don't know. and I, the, the whole blue light thing is now starting to scare me about that. But I, look, the, the, the bottom line, I, I think it's it's this it's this sort of need that we have to, to be connected all the time. And, and I guess I just don't think that's good. One of the reasons I like to play golf, by the way, is I, I don't – I'm not looking at my cell phone. My cell phone goes into the golf bag, and I guess if it and I put on the ringer, and and if 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 it's an emergency phone call and the phone call rings, I generally let it go into voicemail, and then I'll check it at an appropriate time. But I'm not walking up and down the fairways like looking at the looking at the cell phone. It's a two hour or a four hour break from that. And you know what? My life is just as rich and full because my guess is for most people who have their again their their heads buried in their cell phones, the, the truth of the matter is, if you were doing something else, if you were going out to dinner and in, actually interacting with the people that you're with for an hour or two, you're, you're not going to miss anything. Yeah, you might miss a call or two, but that's what voicemail is for. That's what text messages are for. And yes, I understand that there might be that rare situation where it is the true emergency, but that's the, that's the unicorn. And most people that you see looking at their cell phones when they should be talking to other people or when they should be watching their surroundings, it, it's not an emergency. It's just because well, it's just because. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. One political note, uh, the Democratic race for the U.S. Senate nomination to take on Ron Johnson in the fall, kind of interesting. Uh, I would say the leading candidates are probably the extremely uber wealthy young man who yeah, he, he made money the old fashioned way. He inherited it. He's uh, Alex Lazary, who, of course, is the, the son of one of the Bucks owners, moved here uh, probably less than a decade ago and now wants to be the U.S. senator. And and he's I would say the other leading candidate is Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes. Uh, the, the one thing with, with Lazary is that money is no object. And I, don't, and I don't have a problem with that. I think people should be able to put their own money into campaigns. And the last numbers I saw said that he had certainly done that. He'd already, I think, uh, contributed somewhere in the neighborhood of almost six million dollars of his own money, or his dad's money, or his family money into his into the campaign. So, um, and that again, that that's fine. Mandela Barnes, on the other hand, is not independently wealthy. I happen to think, and I've said this before, is that Mandela Barnes would be a much stronger candidate than Alex Lazary. So, I think a lot of Republicans should be rooting for for Lazary if those are the two choices to come out of it. But anyhow. Um, there, there's a new uh, Lazary Commission's poll. I, I have the, the memo in my hands, and they put this out. The the poll, which was done by the Lazary campaign, and they're they're boasting about this. They say that okay, here here's the deal. Um, Alex Lazary 
now is is only trailing rival Mandela Barnes by by three points. So Barnes is polling at 34 percent. Um, Lazary in his own poll is polling at 31 percent. And it's, oh, we're, we're building up this momentum. And I guess that that's one take you could have. To me, the real take of this is that despite spending north of five million dollars on on advertising, all the different TV stuff, He's still trailing Barnes by three points. I mean, you, you do see some Mandela Barnes ads that are out there, but you certainly don't see very many. And my guess is that, you know, he is outspending Mandela Barnes 10 to 1. I, I wouldn't be surprised at that at all. Now, I don't know that that's going to necessarily continue. And again, there is a power of money. There's no question about it. But Alex Lazary is no Herb Cole. And I think it's going to be interesting to see. But the, the poll, and I have a, if you follow me on Twitter, I have a link to this. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. The Lazary campaign says, well, we're only behind by three points now, which, yeah, but at the same time, you know, you spend $5 million to a guy who's spending almost nothing and you're still trailing. What, if anything, does that say? All right, let us switch gears. This has been a tradition here at WTMJ for our our pre-Memorial Day shows for a long, long time. Charlie Sykes used to do it, and then I've, I've started doing it after Charlie left five or six years ago. This is, of course, Memorial Day weekend, Um, Memorial Day. um, It's actually, it used to be Decoration Day. I mean, it goes back to the the Civil War. Um, Memorial Day is, of course, it was officially, it became a national holiday in 1971. Um, Memorial Day is designed to honor all military members who have died while serving in the United States Armed Forces. It's different than Veterans Day, which is just to honor veterans. So this is kind of specific to military members who've died while serving in the U.S. forces. But we have made it a tradition here at WTMJ to at least turn over a couple segments of the program to give you an opportunity to remember friends or relatives on Memorial Day. Now, again, I understand technically it's supposed to be for people who died while serving in the United States Armed Forces, but we've expanded it. So if you have I don't know, that that veteran who passed away in your life, the, the brother, the you know, the nephew, the the close friend, the the dad, the grandpa, um, somebody that you would like to publicly recognize as we move into Memorial Day weekend, this is your opportunity to do it. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I always like to do these segments because as I was saying earlier, I understand that Memorial Day is the unofficial start to summer, and I understand that there's people who you know, pack the Memorial Day weekend with all sorts of events, and they you know, go to picnics and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, I think it's also important to take a couple minutes and recognize what the real purpose, you know, in between the picnics and the cookouts and the lawn work and whatever it is that you're going to do, to remember the real purpose of Memorial Day, which is to honor the military members who've died while serving in the United States Armed Forces. And I'm always struck when I have the privilege, and it is a privilege, to uh, attend some military-related events, whether it's emceeing the Armed Forces Week ball two weeks ago or last uh, summer when we had in Waukesha where they were bringing the Vietnam veterans wall to the moving wall to, to Waukesha. And I can remember standing with, with so many you know, veterans 
um, just uh, it was the, the first night, the night we had the opening ceremonies was just a miserable night. I mean, it's raining, just really pouring. It was cold, and yet we had hundreds of people that were in the audience because they appreciated the importance of recognizing the people that have made the ultimate sacrifice. So if you would like to reach out and recognize somebody this Memorial Day, this is your opportunity to do it, 855-616-1620. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jim sends me a text. Jeff, this weekend I'll be honoring um, SFC Scott James Brown. He died in Iraq fighting with the eighty second Airborne. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is, of course, the real purpose of Memorial Day, and we we never we should just absolutely never lose sight of that. One of One of the most moving experiences that I have had certainly in the last several years is when we did our listener trip to Normandy, um, a cruise down down the Seine, where we did our listener trip to Normandy. And if you ever get a chance to go to Normandy, do it. And we went to Omaha Beach and we went to Utah Beach and we went to a couple of the towns where the, you know, they had the parachutists that dropped in. But, but. I think one of the most moving experiences is we went to the American Cemetery, and it's just rows and rows and rows of of people and, and grave sites, uh, you know, all from, you know, the people who made the ultimate sacrifice. I, I will tell you something, if— if you are not moved forever by the experience of going to that cemetery, I, there, there's something wrong with you. And, and that is an experience that will always, always stay with me, along with many of the other places that we visited. 855-616-1620. Have, having been there last, I think it was September we were there, as we move into this Memorial Day, that, that is my driving memory now that I've had a chance to see all those locations. Um, let's talk to Connie in Greenfield. Connie, you're on WTMJ. Hi, well, I have three of them. My grandfather served in World War II, uh, and my brother's been researching him, actually, and finding out he was in major battles and got major medals that none of us knew about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Julius Stallman. And my father was a vet who had served in the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, David Chapp. And last week, unfortunately, we lost my uncle, and he was a Vietnam vet who was stationed in uh, uh, England during the time of the Vietnam War, Mm -hmm. and he was in the Air Force. Mm. So we have three family members in my family who all were veterans. Yep, Connie, thanks for the call. I, I appreciate it. Jeff, I'd like to recognize PFC Alan Engel of Mount Calvary. He died in Vietnam, Army 47th Infantry. Infantry. He's my uncle. My middle name, um, that's my middle name. I was named after him, and I also gave that name to one of my twin boys. Um, Jeff, we want to recognize our friend's son who was killed in Afghanistan. We celebrated his memory last week, and they're sending me a uh, photograph of, they were up on the the scoreboard and apparently recognized at American Family Field uh, again last week. Jeff, I would like to thank my husband, Jerry Witt, who served as a dog handler in Vietnam. He and his war dog walked point in front of the troops to deflect um, the enemy and uh, to find troops 
tripwires. He is a hero in my eyes. I think he should be a hero in all of our eyes. Jeff, I would like to recognize Major Rainford Tiffin, who passed away in um, Vietnam. Yeah, that that's it. You know, we, we used to, when we did this years and years ago, we used to hear a lot of World War II veterans, and of course that's that's significant, and certainly a lot of Vietnam veterans as well. Jeff, I'd like to recognize and remember my dad. He was a Vietnam War-era victim. He passed away almost five years ago, and today would have been his 92nd birthday. I salute you. Well, absolutely. We would salute him as as well. That's, um, it, it's always, you know, when you hear these, Jeff, uh, this is um, Chris from Howard's Grove, um, and I'd like to honor my father-in-law, uh, Ken Stein, who served in the Marine Corps during Vietnam. Yeah, that's um, this is the real purpose of again Memorial Day, and we, I know there's some Memorial Day parades. Some of them have subsequently, of course, been canceled. Um, and, and one of the things that's frustrating to me is some of these these cancellations have been because. There's, there's in some respects lack of interest, and I just, I've never, I've never understood that because even if you haven't served in the military yourself, if you understand the sacrifices that people make, so we can enjoy the freedoms that we have, you, you just have to appreciate all the things that people have given up. And then, of course, when it comes to Memorial Day, you're talking about people who have made the ultimate sacrifice. Jeff, I'd like to recognize my father-in-law, Thomas Noonan, who lost his life 10 years ago due to complications from exposure to, to exposure to Agent Orange, Orange while serving in the Air Force in Vietnam. Jeff, I'd like to recognize and remember my great-great-uncle, Private Perry Bowers of the 96th Company, 6th Marine Regiment in World War I wounded at Bellow Wood and killed in action at the Battle of uh, Blancmont, World War One. Yeah, it's just, uh, again, that's the purpose of Memorial Day, is to reach out and remember. Ron, Ron, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I'd like to thank my grandfather, who I never met, who served the, in the Italian Army in the Alpine troops during World War One. I'd like to thank my father, who served three years in the Pacific, earned four bronze battle stars fighting Japanese. And then his, his one brother was in Europe fighting, and uh, his younger brother was in Hawaii waiting in case he was needed. And I'd like to thank my my mother's side, my, my Uncle Sam. He served. And I'd like to thank my brother, who served in Vietnam. I was in Vietnam. I have, My son is in uniform right now. I have the effects of Agent Orange still waiting for compensation. But I'd like to thank the homeless veterans who are, who are in shopping, who have pushing shopping carts, living under viaducts in Chicago, all over the United States. And, you know, we're sending billions and billions of dollars overseas to help the people who need help. But a lot of people in this country need help, too. Our veterans need help. And, but thanks a lot for, for taking my call, Jeff. Uh, thanks, thanks for sharing. I, I appreciate it. You know, I, this is whenever I, I speak to veterans groups, which I do, a lot used to do it a lot more. I, I you know, one of the, the the things I always say is that uh, Tom Brokaw, you remember, wrote a book called The Greatest Generation, which 
talks about the World War II generation and just following Pearl Harbor, the fact that you had all these people running up and enlisting and, you know, leaving leaving homes. And it was a different world back then. You you This is before Al Gore invented the Internet. And, you know, in many cases, you had people that, you know, left, left their homes and got on trains and were sent to one coast or the other and then were sent overseas. And, and they weren't back here. You know, they, they didn't see their family. They didn't see their friends. They didn't see their, their loved ones for, in some cases, several Several, several years, and the only communication was, you know, a letter that maybe you would get from time to time if it would track you, and and it, it was just a different world back then, and there, there's no question at all that, you know, Brokaw is onto something, that the people who volunteered and served in World War II were, were clearly a greatest generation, but I guess, you know, it's been my privilege over the years to meet people who served in the Korean War, and certainly um, a number of people I know served in the Vietnam War, and I people I, I interact with on a regular basis, and they had brothers who served in the war and did not come back. And then for everybody else who served in all the conflicts we've had since then, whether it's Operation Iraqi Freedom or Desert Storm or you know, serving in Afghanistan or serving you know in, in Iraq, all, all these people. And I think the, the one thing that, that Brokaw got wrong is not to diminish in any way, shape, or form the sacrifices of what the, the people in World War II made. They were a greatest generation. But I think you can make a very strong argument that, you know, the people who served in the Korean War and the Vietnam War and in all the conflicts since then, they they were— that those sacrifices and those contributions, they were a greatest generation as well. So we don't just have the greatest generation. We have several greatest generations. And I guess my only message here, it's Memorial Day. Enjoy the weekend. Hopefully the weather will finally warm up a little bit. Get out. Have your picnics. Go do the yard work. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. But remember why it is that we're, that we're recognizing and remember why we have a Memorial Day. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. It's Pop Culture Corner time, brought to you by Palermo's Pizza. Delicious frozen pizzas made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years. Palermo's is Wisconsin's hometown pizza. Before we get to that, good news, stock market. This is the first time in probably two to three months that it appears the Dow and the NASDAQ are all going to finish up for the week. A couple big days, and the Dow right now is up 484, the NASDAQ up 348. So um, good news in the financial market. We've got another half hour, so don't mean to jinx it, but it's certainly looking like for the first time in a long time, you're going to have a positive week. All right, like the big voice guy says, this is Pop Culture Corner. We, We put away the heavy lifting, and we we, we just try to have a little bit of fun going into a weekend. In this case, it's an extended weekend because of Memorial Day. Sometimes we talk about music, sometimes food, sometimes travel, sometimes sports, just kind of whatever. Generally speaking, it's triggered by something that's gone on in the week that has tickled my fancy and I think might be an interesting thing for you. Today, we talk about movies, but not just any movies. The news yesterday broke that Ray Liotta, who probably best known for his role as Henry Hill in the movie Goodfellas, which I think you can make a strong argument is is the greatest mobster movie ever made. And I understand there's some people who might, you know, say it's The Godfather, and I I wouldn't fight you too much on that. Um, 
Um, also, he played the character Shoeless Joe Jackson in the great baseball movie uh, A Field of Dreams, which some people might argue is the best you know, baseball movie ever made. But Ray Liotta passed away unexpectedly at the age of 67. And, and I was thinking about Actually, Goodfellas, which is a movie that I think many of us are, are familiar with. And I was thinking about his character. Um, he played, and it was modeled after a real-life mobster named, named Henry Hill. And Goodfellas took some exceptions, as, as they often do, for the purpose of, of Hollywood. They, they dramatize some stuff. But I, I think if you look at, at what Rio, Ray Liotta did with that character of Henry Hill, he, he made it just absolutely remarkable. It is just an incredible character. And what I thought we would do, have a little bit of fun on Pop Culture Corner for this Friday. I I don't want to talk about your favorite movies. I don't want to talk about the best mobster movie. I don't want to talk about the best actor. Who's the best actor of all time? I want to talk about who, in your opinion, what is the most memorable character from the movies? The most memorable character you know, and maybe just, you know, maybe it's, uh, I don't know, Vito Corleone from The Godfather, played by Marlon Brando. Maybe it's Han Solo, you know, from the Star Wars movies. But I want to focus on the character because Ray Liotta just brought this character to life and made it incredibly memorable. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The most memorable character in your mind, in the movies of all time. Now, what we do, because as we've said, Pop Culture Corner, presented by Palermo's Pizza, one caller, not one of the text line, but one of the callers in the complete and total discretion of my producer, Charlie, will win our, our Palermo's Pizza prize package. Try saying that three times fast. Um, Palermo Pizza Cutter, certificate for two Palermo's Pizza, freezer bags, and Post-it cubes, among other things. So um, one of the callers will win that because Pop Culture Corner is presented by our friends at Palermo's Pizza, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, the greatest movie character of all time. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. One of the fun things about doing Pop Culture Corner and topics like this for me is I, our, our text line, phone lines just explode. And, and there's all these just, just great characters because I always I think about the first couple names that come to mind for me. But then all, all of you have these just great ideas. 855-616-1620. Uh, Ray Liotta passed away. I, you might not know who Ray Liotta was, but if you're a movie fan, you say, okay, uh, Goodfellas, he, he played the Henry Hill character. Oh, yeah, it's that guy. He created a memorable character, the most memorable movie character. Uh, let's talk to Ben in South Milwaukee. Ben, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. I think it's just a funny comment about Ray Liotta. Um, he's also known as the, the laughing meme guy. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got a lot of those out there. Yeah. Um, my, my most notable character was, um, has got to be Forrest Gump. Um, it's a great movie, and Tom yeah. Hanks really uh, owned that character and brought it from the beginning of, of Forrest Gump's life uh, yeah. all the way through uh, much of the end. Well, no, thanks for calling. And, and of course, everybody, you, you say you, know, you say the movie Forrest Gump, and I mean, Tom Hanks is such a well-known actor that I think sometimes people look at the character and they see Tom Hanks. But on the other hand, you're, you're right. You say Forrest Gump, and everybody knows that life is like a box of chocolates or whatever that is. 855-616-1620. Karen and Fond du Lac. Karen, you're on WTMJ. Hey, 
Well, Jeff, you and I have a love of movies that's very similar, and I could go through the litany of characters over the decades, but the, one of the characters that I loved was Heath Ledger's interpretation of the Joker. Right. You know, there have been other characters, I mean, there's been other actors that played the Joker, um, Jack Nicholson, for one, but you're, you're right, Heath Ledger had... There was just a particular thing to that characterization that really it just it, it just scared the heck out of pretty much everybody who saw that movie. Absolutely, it was a fantastic performance, and to to go against the likes of a, a Christian Bale, those two had a, a wonderful chemistry. And, but Heath Ledger didn't; he owned that character hands down. Yeah, no, no question about it. Heath Ledger again. Um, it's gone way, way, way too soon. Let's talk to uh, Jim and Waukesha. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Well, uh, someone just stole my thunder. I was going to say Heath Ledger sure. and with the Joker. Uh, it was during the movie. Whenever he wasn't on scene, you, you kind of just anticipated him coming back on. He was so good. Right, and you dreaded him coming. I mean, what, what's going to happen now? How is he going to appear? No, thank you. I, I agree. I agree entirely. I think he was just exceptional. Let's talk to yeah, Jim, and, Jim in Hartford. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Jim. Hello. Mr. Cogburn. Oh, from True Grit. You're talking about the John Wayne edition of, of Rooster yeah. Cogburn. Yeah. No. Thanks. No. Rooster. I mean, uh, you know, he. Um, that was that was uh, John Wayne's. I think is one Academy Award. I think, as as I recall, off the top of my head. But yes, I mean, I True Grit, nineteen sixty eight, just an incredible movie. Okay. Um, before we go back to the phone lines, let's see. A lot of people are saying Darth Vader. Yep. And and that's it. Um, just as one of our texters says, as simple as he is, is an evil character. He represents the most evil and controlling in us. Well, there's no question. That's it. A lot of people are, are saying Forrest Gump. No question about that. That number of people, Rocky Balboa, um, which is, you know, from the Rocky movies, the Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone character. Um, as long as we're on Sylvester Stallone, a lot of people are also mentioning Rambo, um, which was definitely um, one of the most memorable characters as well. Jeff, for me, and I'm dating myself, it's Clark Gable as Rhett Butler. No question about it. Here's one that was on my list. And when, when you hear it, if it, it would be on your list as well. Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal Lecter. I mean, if you, know, if you go back and you watch Silence of the Lambs, for example, Hannibal Lecter is only in like about seven or eight scenes. I mean, the, the movie, if you watch Silence of the Lambs, the, the movie is mostly Jodie Foster. Hannibal Lecter, that character, is only in a handful of scenes, and yet you, you think about Silence of the Lambs and you think about what a part of popular culture Hannibal Lecter has become. number of people in a completely different tone are talking about, well, yeah, the Big Lebowski, it's the dude, um, which is the Jeff Bridges character. Can't argue with that one as well. number of people also, Bond, James Bond, 855-616-1620. Dennis, Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Dennis. Um, yeah. It's not everybody's cup of tea, but the character is just a standout character of Frankenfurter in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, the, the doctor. Yeah, the Tim Curry character. Yeah, it's that one's not Tim my. Curry. That one's. I like some of the songs. That one's not my cup of tea either. But but you're right, Tim Curry 
dressed up in drag as as Dr. Frankenfurter. He, he he clearly dominates the Rocky Horror Picture Show, no question about that. Says a friend of mine took me to the Oriental when the movie first came out. Yeah. I I didn't know what I was getting into. The song comes on, he tells me, Oh, it's a spoof of old uh science fiction movies. Yeah. Okay. But then Tim Curry shows up, absolutely yep. changes everything. Yep. It, and uh, at the same time, you know, it, Meatloaf was in town. This was back when it was first started. Meatloaf was in town. He came to the theater, sat down in front after the movie, took questions. You know, it, it was just an experience. It, I mean... No, I I get it. And Dennis, I tell you what, you you have, even though it's not my cup of tea, it obviously appeals to my producer because you're the winner of our Palermo's prize package for today. So congratulations. Yeah, you. Th- there you go. All thank, right, thank you. You betcha. Thank you. you you've got that. Um, yeah, I, I, I found out the same way. I, I had a friend, my friend John, who passed away a couple of years ago, took a couple of us. He wanted to go to see the Rocky Horror Pictures. I knew I had no idea what that was like. And this was like when it had just been out doing the midnight movie things. And I remember... I remember going to that theater, and I, I admit I didn't get it. I just, it, I, I didn't get it. Next thing I know, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm ready to go home. But I, I've come to appreciate it a little more, a, a little more lately. But um, that's it. Let's see. Um, Jeff, for me, Robert Shaw as the Quint, the captain in Jaws, a memorable experience as well. Uh, Jeff, to me, um, McMurphy, the character that Jack Nicholson played in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, yeah, that was an incredible character as well. Jeff, uh, Clint Eastwood's character in Gran Torino. Actually, if we were going to go with Clint Eastwood, I-, I would say if you want to talk about memorable movie characters, I mean, Dirty Harry clearly would be um, one of those. Jeff, I think it's Rutger Hauer's performance as Roy Batty in Blade Runner. Yeah, that was the, the villain in Blade Runner. Uh, just an, an incredibly memorable character as well. Jeff, I'm dating myself, but Yul Brenner in The King and I. Yul Brenner certainly dominated that um Certainly dominated that. Jeff, for me, I love the Patrick Swayze character Dalton in Roadhouse. Jeff, for me, it's the Terminator, as brought to the silver screen by um, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, that was definitely a defining character as well. 855-616-1620. Okay, let's talk to uh, John. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, John. Which one? Who's Thanks your character? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. It's uh, Rick from Casablanca. Humphrey Bogart. By Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, that's just because, even through all the years, Casablanca remains my all-time favorite film. Whenever I'm kind of making my list. I've watched parts of it a hundred times. Yeah. It, it, Pick it up in the middle of it, watch it, just love it. And it never gets old. No, thanks for calling. And I, I think, I, I'm a big Humphrey Bogart fan, and he's good in, he's good in The tre- Treasure of Sierra Madre, and he's good in The Maltese Falcon, and he's good in To Have and Have Not. But there, there's no question, Casablanca is as close, at least in my opinion, to a perfect movie as there is, and the Rick character is is definitely there. Uh, let's talk to Tom. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Tom. I was probably going to date myself also. It's the Wizard of Oz, and it would be Dorothy. Uh, Judy Garland. 
Yeah, that that's um. It, well, don't feel bad because I, I would say I probably have at least a dozen texts mentioning you know Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz and just I, I I mean I can't believe how young Judy Garland was when she did that performance. Just I mean it's it, it's it, it's it's amazing and she brought that character to life in just an incredible way. Yeah, no, no, no question about it. No, I, you can't, you can't go wrong with, uh, with that. Let's talk to, let's see, Craig. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. My, my, my favorite actor is Gene Hackman from Poseidon all the way up to his current movies. My gosh, the guy can do anything. But when it comes to one actor that can bring us all together. Gosh, I, I don't like him at all, but Sylvester Stallone is Rocky. From one to four, can he bring the entire nation together with the American flag? And I hope everyone has a chance with what's going on in the world today to just reflect on how great America is. And, Jeff, I hope you have a great weekend. Craig, everyone in Milwaukee and Wisconsin does as well. Craig, thank you for the call, and, and we want to wish everybody a, a safe Memorial Day. Um, yeah, that's it. Jeff, Norman Bates from Psycho, that's definitely one. And then a number of people. I Okay, when, when I was putting together my list, Hannibal Lecter was on it, uh, the Humphrey Bogart character, Rick from Casablanca, and then how could we forget Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones? I mean, you want to talk about just another one of those memorable characters, that's it. Okay, we're out of time. John McCure and Melissa Barkley are going to be in in a couple minutes. Um, This has been Pop Culture Corner, presented by Palermo's Pizza. Thanks for playing. We're back next week with another edition. Thanks for participating in Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Tune in next week as Jeff Wagner explores another pop culture topic.